Isn't this good? All right. So, in the back, I put one up here. Glad no one stole it. We have one of these. So, if you're a visitor or you're new-ish, like we'll put an ish on there, even if you're new-ish, take this. It's just a little bit about us. Uh, there might be some candy in there. Uh, if you're a long-time attender and you want the candy, you're going to have to talk to Michael. There might be some left over. There might not be, but you can take this. This is fun, and this is neat, and, and you know, this is a way to get to know each other. Uh, there's an information card that might help uh, us if you want to connect. Uh, it might help us connect with you so you can get to know our church a little bit more, um, and so these are fun. However, you know why we're here is for this. Amen? This is why we're here, and this has infinitely more power than that gift bag. And though that bounce house might get some people here, it certainly got my kids here this morning, right kiddos? Um, it was like Christmas morning seeing that bounce house. Uh, we're going to look at God's Word. So what I'm going to do, kiddos, uh, you are dismissed. And we're going to allow you to go. Again, it took me looking at Emma to remember that I need to dismiss them. <laughs> so you guys can head over to the Sunday school that we got going for you. <laughs> Emma keeps trying to tell me. And I want us to open up in our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, that passage I already read. Um, we are going to be unashamedly opening up this book, this divinely inspired Word of God to look at it, teach it, understand it, apply it, and let it change our lives. So we want this on our laps if you don't have one, there's some. If you're in the lucky first uh, or in the, in the middle of the row, there might be one under your seat. If you need one, you can grab one. Um, or if you don't have one, take one before you go. That would be even a better gift for, of ours to you. Uh, make your way to First Thessalonians. And we're going to look at chapter 1 real briefly. Now, if you've read any of Paul's letters... Uh, often he starts with some greeting. He's uh, introducing himself, and he'll make sure that he says something about his intention in the letter, and often what he's doing in this salutation, they sometimes call it the first verse or two in the, in the letter, often what he does is he tells uh, the people he's writing to a little bit about who he is, Paul, and typically he'll say something like an apostle or called by Jesus or something along those lines. I am Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, 1 Thessalonians, this book that we're about to look at, he doesn't give any of his credentials. He just kind of introduces himself as if he's talking to old friends. And as a matter of fact, he is. We're going to look at a church that Paul loved. We're going to look at a church real quick that Paul knew so well uh, that was so close. He didn't feel like he needed to pull out his apostolic credentials to get his message across. This was someone, uh, Paul, who knew this church so well he could just pour out his heart. In fact, if you were to scour the book of 1 Thessalonians, you'd see there's not much correction going on. Not like Galatians where he has to tell him to watch out for the false teachers. Uh, not like any of these other ones where he's like, hey, watch out for some heresy. Thessalonians, it's just an outflowing of love and commendation. It's, hey, what you're doing, keep excelling in that. In fact, if you were to look over at chapter 2, uh, verse 7, he says that when he was with them, he says, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother. So Paul just has this affection for these people. If you look down at verse 20, 
of chapter 2. He says, for you are our glory and joy. And so he loves this church. It would probably be like, uh, since we're going to look at the origin of this church and Paul's role in how this church got started, it would probably be like uh, a parent uh, watching their kids grow up. And then there's that moment where you kind of say goodbye and maybe you send them off to college or maybe they're now starting to make their own decisions and Paul from a distance is watching this church almost like it's his own child and, and that child begins to make good decisions uh, going the right path and all the things that you taught, they're actually listened to and they're now applying to their lives. Now, that's what was happening with this church. Paul was so proud. He was looking at them and he's almost have nothing to say in terms of correction. You're doing so well. You're my glory. You're my joy. He loved this church. This is a model church. And so as we are kind of in the very beginnings of growing together as a church, I think it's healthy to look at this church, this model church, and go, well, what is it about this church that was so amazing? I mean, how can we imitate them? This is a model church that Paul absolutely loved. And I'm going to read, I already read to you about how in verse 5, the gospel came to these people with not only power, but the Holy Spirit and full conviction that they became imitators. In verse 6, they received the word even in their affliction and with the joy of the Spirit. I want to look at verse 8. So if you're in your Bible, have it open, the very word of God to us this morning. I'm going to look at one passage. And the passage is chapter 1, verse 8. And I want to see what's happening in this church, this ancient church. And I want to ask ourselves, well, what do we learn from this? So look with me at verse 8. We there in verse 8? Verse 8. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia, in Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. This is a phenomenal statement. He's saying that this church, this little Thessalonian church, had such a testimony that the Word of the Lord was sounding forth like a trumpet blasting from this church to all of Macedonia and in Achaia. Now that area is a big area. That would probably be the size of Greece. I mean, this might be like saying, and let's use modern language or let's use our own location. That would be like Paul saying, hey, your little church is, is letting this message that it, it has embraced, it's echoing from that church the message is exploding from that church and all of southern california knows i mean it's that big an area he's saying this little church has such a testimony that the word of the lord is sounding forth from it faith in god is going forth everywhere man this church was set up in a unique way there was a special road that kind of went by it uh, it had a lot of people that would come in through this city because of trade routes and other reasons. And this church was just uniquely able to be used by God to just get this gospel message expanding in this giant area. Now I think about that and I say, all right, well, we're a little church in Southern California. We got this monstrosity called the 210 over here next to us. A lot of people passing by. 
a lot of different types of people in this area. Even people that will come, be here for a little bit, and move on. So I go, hey, maybe we have a similar opportunity to what this old church had back many, 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 many years ago. And there's two questions that really intrigue me, and this is where we're going to spend most of the time. Uh, he says this, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, even if you just look at those two phrases, uh, the word of the Lord sounded forth. Now i got two questions in my mind as I hear that. I go, well, what does he mean about the word of the Lord? What is that specifically? And then, what would it mean for this to sound forth what is the word of the lord that he's saying that just exploded on the people and changed their hearts and turned them from idols to serve the living god and what did it mean for them to be a church that just had this sounding gospel going from them not only in their own little church and own little community but this whole giant region i want to know because i want by the grace of god to imitate that to know, we've got to get some context. So here's what we do. We look at the Bible. We let the Bible interpret the Bible. So we're going to go back to Acts. Okay, we're going to go to Acts chapter 17. Because in Acts chapter 17, we get the story of the roots of this church. How this church came to be. And in Acts chapter 17, Paul and Silas are on their missionary journey. And it says here, when they pass through Amphipolis and Apollonia... They came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Verse 2, and Paul went in as was his custom. Paul went in as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Let's just pause right there for a second. Paul, this was normal, what he would do here, what he did here, this is kind of his routine. He would go in, if he could find a synagogue, a synagogue would already have people who believed in God. They already believed in the Old Testament Scriptures. It was a natural in. Paul, having been a Pharisee for most of his life, would have been a master of the Old Testament Scriptures. And so he would go into these synagogues, and he would go to the Old Testament, and he would prove from the Old Testament that there was a Messiah coming, and we're going to see what exactly they needed to know about that Messiah that was coming. But I want to point out this. We're asking that question, what is the word of the Lord that so radically transformed the people in this city? It says he reasoned with them from what? The Scriptures. He reasoned from the Scriptures. Do you want to know what the Word of the Lord is? Do you want to know how God speaks? Do you want to have access to the life-changing, world-altering, pride-shattering power of God? It's right here. And what Paul would do is he'd open up the Scriptures and he would reason with them. The Word of the Lord that so transformed the people in that city was the very same Scriptures. Old Testament, now we have the New, given to us by the apostles, passed down through the ages, this very morning, opened to us, read and preached. That same message that exploded in that old city is ours this morning to read and explain and apply. The power of God right now. It's through the Word of God for the people of God. 
you want to know what the word of the Lord is that changes hearts and lives and impacts communities, it is the scriptures. This is what he did. He opened up scriptures. He persuaded from the scriptures. He argued from the scriptures. It wasn't man's opinion. The last thing we need around here is another church that's the opinions of men being spouted from the pulpit. We don't need any more of those. We have enough of those. We need people to explain Scripture and what it means and press it and show how this applies to our lives and call people to transform their lives in relation to the revealed Word of God. And so Paul, you say, well, what is the Word of the Lord? What is the Word of the Lord? It is the Scriptures. But not only that, look at what else he says. Look at verse 3 in chapter 17 of Acts. It says, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, verse 3, explaining and proving, here it is, that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. What is the Word of the Lord? Well, it's found in the Scriptures, but it's not just vague generalities or just Bible stories all detached and pulled out of context. It's not that. Very specifically, Paul is saying the Word of the Lord that transformed these people was clearly the message of Jesus Christ. His suffering and His resurrection and His Lordship. He is the Christ. This was the message that was a bombshell that radically transformed people. The Word came with conviction, with the power of the Spirit, and it turned people from their idols to serve the living God. Friends, this is the Gospel. He was proving from Scripture that the Christ needed to suffer. Now, if you've ever asked that question, well, why does the Christ need to suffer? And you might know a little bit of the Bible. You might even say, well, sin is a result, or sin results in death, right? The wages of sin is death. You know that. Well, Jesus didn't have any sin. How is it that Jesus had to suffer? He didn't have any sin. And friends, that is the most glorious question that you could ask because it leads us straight into the heart of the gospel because Jesus had to suffer, not because he was a sinner, but because he voluntarily entered into his own creation to take upon himself all the guilt and all the sin and all the shame of every one of his people who had ever come to him. That's why he had to suffer, not because he was a sinner, but he wanted to save sinners. He came to seek and save the lost. And he did that by taking their sin and their guilt and their shame and being punished for it. He had to suffer. A Christ that does not die is not a Christ that saves. A Christ or a gospel with no cross, with no blood, with no death is not a saving gospel. We hear a lot about God and how He loves us. And that is gloriously true. But the height of the expression of the love of God is the cross. For God demonstrates His own love for us, us in this. While we were yet sinners, He died for us. It was necessary for Him to die because He wanted to save humanity. He wasn't just coming to set up a kingdom and that's it. He wanted to save a people so they could inherit the kingdom. And so He came to suffer. And He came to rise again. It was necessary for Him to rise as well. If the resurrection's not true, what? We're all still in our sins, right? He conquered sin. And He conquered death and hell. And He is alive right now. Lord of all, King of kings, the Savior of all who come to Him. 
This was the message. Friends, this will be the message that will ring out, Lord willing, every Sunday from this pulpit. The message of the good news of the gospel. That our church services will be shaped around this. That our songs will be saturated with this. That our conversations will be filled with grace representative of the grace of God demonstrated to us. We will preach the gospel as clearly as we can, as fully as we can, as truly as we can. We are not going to try to talk about salvation without mentioning sin. We're not going to try to talk about forgiveness without mentioning guilt. We're not going to try to mention God's love without mentioning God's wrath. Paul did both. In 1 Thessalonians, he clearly says these people had been saved by Jesus from the wrath to come. We preach a gospel. It's not shallow. It gets right to the heart. It convinces us of our great guilt, our own sin, our deep shame. It puts, us, it puts that right in our face, and then it says all that can be removed through Jesus. And it's a glorious message. This is the type of message that just transforms people's lives in the Thessalonians knew it. The Thessalonians knew it. If you're still in Acts chapter 17, look at what happens in verse 4. And some of them, it says, and some of them were persuaded. And so these people in the synagogue are hearing this and they're going, this is it. This is the news I've been waiting for all my life. My sins forgiven? Total clothed in the righteousness of Christ? All that's mine adopted by God? Not by my works, but by grace? I'm in. And so they were in. They were persuaded. They came in. And this is how the church began. You say, what's the word of the Lord that so shattered the pride of the Thessalonians and, and so sent them off on the mission to sound forth into this giant area? It was nothing other than the word of God and specifically being drawn, exposited from the word of God, the gospel message about a dying and rising Savior. And this will yet be the same message that we proclaim week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, by the grace of God. So the word of the Lord sounded forth. At first, that was my first question. Well, what does it mean? What is the word of the Lord? And second, I, my, my next question is, well, what did it mean for it to sound forth? Because that's, that's what we're also concerned about. Uh, we want to make sure we get the gospel right. Now, there is no sounding forth if we preach a false gospel. We want to get the gospel right, but we also want to make sure that we are allowing it to sound forth in a way that people understand it. So how did the gospel sound forth in these, this church? Like I said, this is a model church that Paul loved. We ought to learn from it. And so I want to point out four ways that this church is just sounding forth the word of the Lord so that all the community is hearing about it. And I want to show you these four things so that we can, by the grace of God, say, Lord, create this in us too. Let's be this people too. Let's let the same characteristics of this church be true of us as well. Because we know that the gospel isn't built by fads and trends. The church doesn't advance by fog machines and laser lights. Those are cool. It doesn't even advance by gift bags, as neat as they are, and pick one up on your way out. This is not how the church is built. 
This is a fun day, but this is not how the church is built. It's built by the Word of God on the regular exposition of it as we receive it as the Word of God. Well, let's look. How did these people have their faith sound forth like a trumpet throughout all the land? How did they do this? They got four things. Here's number one. There were transformed lives. Their lives were transformed. If you're in Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, verse 5, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You want to know who's saved? Here, He's describing the people who received it. It wasn't just a message that they heard. It came with power. It came with conviction. The Holy Spirit turned their lives around. Verse 9, skip down to verse 9 of that same chapter. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. Here it is. How you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Transformed lives. Turning lives. Repenting lives. Friends, we will never stop announcing this glorious reality that the Gospel transforms people. The gospel turns people around. The gospel comes with Holy Spirit power and it is able to save, but not just give you a ticket to heaven kind of salvation. It's come to turn your life around. And that people, and you could imagine the worst person you know, the person you think would never come to the Lord, you could imagine that person rejoicing in the gospel because that is a possibility when you have a powerful gospel like we do. The gospel can change lives. The gospel turns people around. Uh, there's so many teachings, or maybe, maybe it's not a teaching, maybe it's just some people just settle into the reality that they think is true. They think that just this gospel is kind of impotent and it's not really able to change anyone. Or you just say, hey, as long as you assent to these things and you maybe check a box about what you believe, uh, then you're, you're good. Well, you've got to believe the right gospel. But the way you know that you believe the right gospel and the gospel is really fully being embraced by you is what it's saying here. There's a turning from idols to serve the living God. All throughout the Scriptures, the Bible teaches that God's people will be transformed from the inside out. The prophets prophesied today in Jeremiah that all the people of God would have the knowledge of God. The Spirit would indwell them. Ezekiel promises a day that the old heart would be taken out. The Spirit would be put in. The new heart would be pulsating with the life of God and God would cause His people to walk in His commandments. Transformative power delivered through vocal cords. The Gospel given to people transforms lives. It absolutely changes hearts. And you say, well, how does this relate to what we're talking about? The word of the Lord sounded forth throughout such a big area because these were legit transformed lives. These were not people just professing. Maybe you know those people. They don't always give a good testimony to the greatness of our Savior. But here, these people had so transformed their lives by the gospel that it was a living, breathing testimony that the gospel is true. Jesus is alive. He is still saving. The church is still advancing. The Spirit's still at work. All these things are very much still true. Transformed lives are powerful. You ever sat in the same room as a newly born-again Christian? And just you saw them this way before they were saved, and then you see them this way after they're saved, and you go, wow, 
Jesus is alive. <laughs> He's still at work. It's obvious because I see it right. Well, that was one of the ways that the word of for- was sounding forth. Their transformed lives were a living testimony to the goodness of God and the power of the gospel. By the grace of God, we're going to preach the gospel and we're going to really keep storming the gates of heaven in prayer until we see people turning from idols to serve the living God. We're going to keep coming to God in prayer. And by the grace of God, we don't want to give up asking Him for the good gifts He desires to give us as a good Heavenly Father. And we're going to ask that He provides not only new visitors, and I'm so glad all the visitors are here, but new converts. <laughs> new people who were lost and now get found. Oh, by the grace of God, we'd love to see our chairs filled with people a little rough around the edges because they're just figuring this whole Christianity thing out. But they come in trusting their Savior, repenting of their sins, lives being transformed, and then what a grace it would be for us as a church family to come alongside, put our arm around them, and walk with them as they learn to follow Jesus. But the transformed life just powerfully communicates the greatness of our gospel. Here's a second reason why the word of the Lord was just sounding forth in this church is that that church received the word of God as if it was the word of God. They had hearts that were receiving God's word. Look at verse 6 of chapter 1. You became imitators of us and the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. You received it. Chapter 2, verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this. Listen to this one. This is where it is. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. The reason why this church was so effective was because the people heard the Scriptures as if they were really from God. Imagine that. I mean, we all believe this. We know this is true, and yet, how often can we slip subtly and maybe gradually over time into thinking this is just another book or that it's not really all that powerful? Sure, it's informative. Sure, we respect it as you know, a part of our Christian lives. But have we forgotten the immense power of the Word of God? Do you remember this reality that God Almighty, creator of galaxies, who spoke the supernovas into existence, now speaks to you in this written word. This is the word of God. There is nothing more powerful that we can sit under week after week And if we think that this cannot change us, friends, nothing will change us. This will change us. This will transform us. And that's what happened to here. They received it as the Word of God because that's what it really is. And he says even, which is at work in you, believers. What happens, friends, is we gather again and again and again. What's always going to happen is the Bible will be opened. It will be read. It will be sung. It will be talked about. It will be preached. The Bible will be central. And we're trusting that the Spirit will be at work in us. Or the Word will be at work in us. That's what he says has happened to them. The Word was received, and then it was being, being worked out in the lives of the people who received it. 
It's funny, um, there, are, there are churches today out there that think that the way to reach the, the world is to ditch some of the old-fashioned beliefs that churches have had in previous years. Oh, you know, the virgin birth, too contradictory, or, you know, science has disproven the even possibility of that. And, and of course, the Bible's filled with errors. It can't possibly be totally true now. And they're doing that because they think that the modern mind can accept the words of God. And so we've got to take away the things that are offensive and just focus on the, the main things. The funny thing is, or maybe the ironic thing, it's not really funny, it's quite sad. The ironic thing is that the people who are trying to ditch the Bible to win people are actually the shrinking churches. I mean, those are the ones that are disappearing. Who wants to go to a church where, where who knows what they believe? There's no conviction. There's, there's no clear authority here. There's no doctrine being explained. There's no foundation to rest your life on. And so he's saying here that we are people as Christians who say this is God's Word. And we unapologetically open it up, teach it, and believe it. I remember being uh, back in Simi, and a couple years ago I preached on the need for expository preaching. Just people standing up, explaining the Word, applying the Word uh, to the people of God. And, and uh, a man came up to me afterwards who happened to be visiting that Sunday. And he had almost tears in his eyes. So it was, a, uh, I don't often get things like this, but something obviously was very moving to him. And he came up to me and he says, we've been looking for churches and we've been going from place to place. And I've been looking for a church that just tell me what the Bible says. And I can't find one anywhere. But thank you for opening up the Word and explaining it to me. And I go, there it is. See, God's people want the Word of God. The people of God hunger for the Word of God. And so we're not going to treat this book as if it's just kind of a little bit of salt and pepper. Like we're going to do our own thing and we're going to sprinkle the salt and pepper of Bible verses, just kind of throwing them in to make sure we're still biblical. Uh, we're not going to treat it that way. This is not just seasoning to add to some meal that we've already prepared. This is the meat. This is the truth. This is what will be the center focus of all that we do. And so we will have word-receiving hearts just like this Thessalonian church had. Jesus is building His church. How does He do it? By speaking it into existence through His powerful Word. So we're going to strive to be, by the grace of God, like this old church and, and be one that focuses on the Scriptures and applying it to our lives. Uh, thirdly, what we see about this church is that they were highly committed. And not just the apostles that had given themselves to the church. It wasn't just the apostles. Obviously, the apostles were uh, sent by Christ Himself, Paul commissioned by Jesus Himself. Um, uh, but this church, the way they responded was all in. They were all in. They were going for it. Uh, look at, back with me at, if you kept your finger in Acts 17, maybe you don't need to turn there. I could just read it. But if you are there, in verse 4, we hear about those who were persuaded and they joined Paul and Silas. And then in verse 5, there's another thing that happens. Verse 5, but the Jews were jealous. And taking some of the wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason seeking to bring them out to the crowd. 
So what's happening is that these, these jealous religious folks hear this teaching about the dying and rising Messiah. They don't like it. And so they get this mob going and they're starting to search for the church that's been newly born. And this Jason is this guy. He's mentioned later in Romans. And so he's a friend of Paul. He was probably housing the Christians or maybe their church met there. So this guy Jason, they go in and they drag him out and they bring him before the city authorities and they say, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. They're, they're, everyone's all angry. They're, they're these Christians committed to the Scriptures, committed to the Gospel, and these religious Jews don't want anything to do with it because it upsets their system. And so they start mobbing to get these Christians to want to stamp them out. And this is how we see that these, church, these people in the Thessalonian churches were highly committed. If you're back in the book of First Thessalonians, you see it in verse 6, they became imitators of the apostles and of the Lord, for you receive the word in much affliction. The mob forms. People want you gone. And they're receiving the word with joy. In chapter 2, verse 14, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. The churches in Judea knew what it was like to be persecuted by the religious Jews. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus Christ and the prophets. He's saying these people were facing these murderous antagonists to the gospel, but they were all in. Now, very clearly, they didn't say, oh, Paul, could you take care of these problems? Or, Paul, uh, this is getting too hard. I'm not sure I want to show up anymore. These were people who were all in, in the midst of the difficulties of affliction. I've seen people who have been here for years. You've hung in through very hard times. I've known Christians in this very room who have gone through difficult times. Even times where you begin to question in your own frailty the goodness of God. But what happens when God saves His people, He draws them to Himself, He gives the Holy Spirit, is that He creates in us a persevering faith. That even when affliction comes, uh, when even when opposition comes, well, we have this idea that Christ is worth it and for His glory I will press on. And the church is committed to Christ. And because they're committed to Christ, they're committed to one another. And they hold each other together. Friends, when we reflect on what Jesus has done, leaving the comforts of heaven to come take on human flesh to live under the curse of a fallen world and then to die a sinner bearing the wrath of God in our place and then to rise again freely forgiving all our sins. What a good friend He is. What an amazing Lord our Savior is. How could we not also love Him back with full and complete devotion? He is worthy, is He not? I mean, He is so worthy for all that we could give Him. And I think that's the idea of what these Thessalonians were doing. They go, God has been so good to us. I'm all in. By the grace of God, 
as the Spirit works among us. We are working to be a church where we can look each other in the eye and we can say, I'm all in. If it's hard, I'm all in. If we have opposition, I'm all in. When we're opposed, all in. And you could look at me and I could look at you and we could look at each other and we could say, I'm relying on you to be all in too because we're in this together. And this is what it means. This church was all in, highly committed. We are praying for an increasing sense of unity, an increasing sense of responsibility that we all have here together for one another and for one another's souls as we walk with Christ together, ultimately for the glory of God. So they were highly committed lastly, and this is where we'll wrap it up. This church had affectionate family relationships. They loved each other. Now some of the most joyful times in my life take place in the church with the people who love me so well, who have committed themselves to me, that have become my best friends. Even the tragedies that we've experienced in our life or the difficulties uh, when the church family comes around can become some of the sweetest moments. As you cry together over a tragedy or you rejoice together over an accomplishment, we celebrate together or we weep together. This church was bonded together in such a way that you could only explain it in terms of supernatural love. It was like a family. And that could be tossed out, that word, and I'm sure every church says, hey, we're like a family. Well, the Thessalonian church really was. Literally, Paul said in verse 7 of chapter 2 that his ministry among them, verse 7, it was like a nursing mother. We were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. You go a little bit farther in chapter 2, verse 11. For you know how like a father with his children we exhorted you. We encouraged you. So Paul and Silas and the people ministering here, they were like a mother and a father encouraging and nurturing and raising up this church, this newborn church. Mothers just have this natural love for their children. I've seen it in my own wife, Ashley. We had a little one right now, still nursing, still up in the middle of the night, wailing, wanting to be held, so needy, can't do anything himself. Not complaining. We love Jack. He's a giant blessing for us. One of the most amazing things is to see the way a mother cares for that child. The way she wakes up, the way she feeds it, the way she is attentive to its every need, the way she cares for it. Well, this is what the Thessalonians experienced. They did not question the love of their leaders. Not for a moment did they question the nurturing care that Paul and Silas had given to them. And so, I think following the example of their leaders, they learned to love each other. You look in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 9, now concerning brotherly love, there's another family type word, brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. 
they had seen the way God had loved them in Christ. They had seen the way that God sent these apostles to bring them the good news and to teach them and raise them up in the Lord. They had seen the amazing demonstration again and again of the love of God poured out and God had taught them to love and now they were like brothers and sisters in the same family loving each other, caring for one another. The church is my family. It's my greatest joy to be serving in a church. It's the thrill of my life. I hope to be here until the day I die because I love these people, these relationships. And I'm praying for an ever-extending network of relationships with people that can love me and care for me and that I can love and care for them and that we can be in this together. This is what we saw in this church and by the grace of God, we will grow in this way as the gospel that shows the love of God is more and more not only understood in the mind but felt in the heart. As it takes root in our lives, the inevitable result is that we will look around this room with deeper affection, higher commitment, more willingness to sacrifice for one another as our Savior did for us. We will see each other as people for whom we are responsible to love and care for, walk with, through all of life's ups and downs, like a family. Wouldn't it be amazing if someone would be able to say that to us, what Paul said to these people? I don't even need to write to you about brotherly love. You guys got that one down. You've been taught by God. You just, just keep doing it. <laughs> You're doing it. Keep, keep it up. Friends, this is how the word of the Lord sounds forth in Rancho in the greater area that we are able to have influence so far as God allows us how will it happen not in the fads and not in the trends not by being cool bounce houses are great gift bags awesome free lunch thumbs up for that that's not going to build the church but the way the word of the Lord sounds forth is genuinely transformed lives, hearts that hunger for the Word of God, receiving it as the very Word of God, highly committed, all-in members with an affection for one another that we say, this is like family. And the visitor who walks in the door goes, there's something about the way they love each other that I've never experienced before. Let me in. What gospel do they believe? Let me have a part of that. This is how it sounds forth. By the grace of God, this is what we want to do. In 1961, 15 people in Simi Valley founded a new church. Their conviction was that this new area of Simi Valley just being developed needed Bible-preaching churches. Six years later, church in Orange got started. 28 people and all started it. Similar convictions. The Bible must be preached. The gospel must be clarified. And 10 years after that, 1977, the Hainer, Bukowski, Shively, and Fairchild families started a church in this very area. Not long moved to this very building after that. Why? So that the word of the Lord would sound forth. By the great providence of God, now these three churches have come together. 
partnering together for the advance of the gospel, to make sure that Christ is held up high, that his saving love is proclaimed. Now this day is fun and exciting and in some ways represents a culmination of many things that have been happening the last year. But honestly, it's just another Sunday. The real work begins after this. And also the real joy will come after this. As we labor to see the lives of the people in our community, the neighbors that we love, the friends we meet at the park, family members we are close with as we see their lives utterly transformed by the powerful gospel we preach. Brought into the family to experience love they've never known. Welcomed in and then commissioned out as a part of the witnesses that Jesus has raised up for himself, for his glory, to bring in his people from every corner of the globe. We are a part of that story. It's an amazing story. In Acts chapter 17, the mob accused that little church in Thessalonica, saying, these are people, they're not bowing to Caesar, they're saying, there's another king, Jesus. And that was the charge they brought against that new church. Friends, that's who we are. The church is proclaiming that there is another king. You don't have to follow all the fads of the world. Listen, they're all searching. They all have kings they're trying to bow to. Kings of money, of sex, of pleasure, of wealth, of fame. They're chasing them and they're just becoming enslaved. And we are here to pronounce this amazing news. There is another king who you come to him and you will find freedom. You come to him, you will find forgiveness. Submit to him and be freed from all the shackles this world has on you. Friends, we are this church standing in the long line of faithful churches, the long line of faithful men and women who say there is another king. There is another king to worship. Bow before this king Jesus. He is all we want. He is all we need. He is all we have. He is our message. It is him we proclaim. And by the grace of God, we will continue proclaiming Jesus Christ. It's all we have. And it's all we need. There is another king, Jesus. That's the message we take to the world. We're going to sing about this and then we're going to be done. Um, join me in prayer. So Lord, if the world would see us in the way we live, I pray that it would be true that they would say of us that we are those people who serve another king. We are not chasing after the fads of the world. We are not going after the same pleasures of the world. We are not relying in governments. We are not relying on money. We are not relying on anything except the risen Savior. And so, Lord, we come with open hands recognizing we have no strength in and of ourselves for this. Christ you must do it all. So glorify yourself. Build your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.